Welcome to the wonderful world of wine. We are your hosts, Mark Lenzi and Kim Simone, and we are exploring all things wine with you. You can find us on Facebook at The Wonderful World of Wine. everyone and welcome to the wonderful world of wine. Every week we join you to discuss trending topics in the wine world, whether we are all together or we are in isolation. And as we've been doing for the last few weeks, uh, Mark and I are not next to each other in our recor- recording studio. We are in our separate spots, but it's always nice to get together every week uh, to kind of sort of see you, Mark. So how are you? How are you, Kim? It's always good to talk wine, and especially nowadays, let's talk about some good things and nothing right. better than talking wine. We love talking wine. So, so what did you find today, Kim? So today, you know, kind of following up on what we were talking about last week, you know, I wanted to do a little bit for our listeners about how they can enjoy wine in their own home environments. Uh, we're not going out to restaurants at the moment. So what can you do around your house to make your wine taste just a little bit better? So we've got nine genius wine hacks worth trying at home from an Australian website called uh, BHG. So there are some fun things in here, some things that I was aware of, but that could be really, really useful for uh, wine consumers at home. What did you find was the most interesting or something different on here, Mark, that you hadn't seen before? Well, one of them was talking about removing red wine stains. Mm -hmm. This was uh, something you always see hacks on your clothing, this and that. And they were saying use salt to remove a red wine stain. Have you ever heard of that hack? I had not heard this one before. So the idea is, so say you spill red wine on your carpet or on uh, an article of clothing that you're wearing, blot it so that you get as much of the liquid out as possible, and then take salt and cover the stain in salt and let it sit for 45 minutes. And then you're supposed to press the salt out of your clothing with a towel that has been soaked in boiling hot water. And that apparently is supposed to take out the stain. So I might need to try that because I haven't tried that before. Yeah, I never heard of this one, and and uh, I thought it sounds like a good tip, Kim. Hmm. One of the things I've always looked for in a hack and wine stains is how to get it off my countertop. My <laughs> wife is going to kill me if I, I put another stain. I'm always pouring wine; it gets on my countertop, and next day I, I forget it or something. The next day there's a big ring or a drop, and no matter how big that drop is, my wife finds it and I cannot remove it. So if anyone knows that hack, that's the one I need. Do you want to know what I use to get it yes, out of my? So I use a product called Barkeeper's Friend. Do you have any of that? No. It's awesome. Is it bleach? It's really or? good. I don't know what it is, uh, but it's used for um, like stainless steel things. But it's great on countertops. What but kind I of have countertop? Like, Do you have granite? No, I have like a cheap a, Formica uh, countertop. All right. I knew I liked you, Kim. Yeah. I have uh, nothing fancy. Butcher block is about as fancy as we get around here. I don't think granite even soaks up wine as, as much as our countertops do, but I bet if you reached out to someone who like works at a countertop or a stone fab place, I bet they've got some good advice. Well, I have to try that. There you go. What about you? What did you find interesting on the list? Uh, so I liked this idea of how to chill down a bottle of wine very quickly. Now, usually what I do if I have a bottle of wine that 
uh, is room temperature and I want it to be cold. If I have enough ice on hand, I'll put it in an ice water bath. But this idea is you take a paper towel and you get the paper towel wet and then you wrap the wet paper towel around your bottle of wine and then you put it in the freezer. And so the idea is that the water in the paper towel will, will freeze rapidly and then that will chill down your wine. So this works in the same manner as a, um, a chill sleeve, which I have a few of and that I, I use fairly religiously. And it just, it creates a different layer of really, really, really cold up against your bottle of wine. And it pulls the room temperature out of your wine and, and makes it cold really fast. So I, I think that is a great hack for chilling down wine that uh, you want it to be a little bit colder than it actually is. But so it's the paper towel. So your paper towel must stick, right? You're Kim? creating like an yeah. ice layer in the paper towel and it sticks to your bottle. I mean, it freezes to the bottle. It's got to, when you take it out of there, it's got to be stuck, right? Well, must free right yeah, now. but then that's going to come up to, you know, less than 32, I mean, more than 32 degrees pretty quickly when you take it out of the freezer. So give it a minute. I'm yeah, sure, sure. I, I just put it in the fridge. 20 minutes, take it out. <laughs> yeah, me too. That's my, and that's related um, to one so of they, the other items they said too, about putting wines in the fridge, which I didn't understand. Why is that a hack? Put for I storage? Guess leftover wines, right? That's right. what they're saying. Well, because I, th I think that people don't eat, naturally think to put leftover wine in their refrigerator if it's red wine. And this is something that I always do. So if you have an open bottle of wine, whether it's red or white, it's going to last longer if you put it in the refrigerator. Uh, that just sort of slows down the oxidation and slows down the, the aging of the wine. But I don't think that it's something naturally that people would think about doing, especially for a bottle of red wine. Yeah, so I never it. used to do this. I yeah. never used to do this. And then I noticed, what, why don't you explain, Kim, let's, let's explain to the listeners, you open a red wine. The next day, if you did not take it from your counter and put it in the fridge, what do you notice on the taste profile of the wine? So usually for red wines, what will happen is the, the flavors will certainly start to change. I mean, it will for whites too, but for reds, you know, you lose a lot of that primary like red berry fruit. It's not going to smell and taste quite as fresh. It's going to start to take on sometimes some nutty flavors uh, sometimes the flavors and the aromas will start to dull a little bit. For better wines, they may even be tasting better the next day. They just tend to soften. The tannins will soften up a little bit. Sometimes the acidity is different as well. So your wines do change over time. They're a living, breathing organism, we can say. So any exposure to oxygen over any length of time is definitely going to change the flavor of that bottle of wine. I find that too. I think it's mostly associated with the with the fruits. It mm -hmm. it really kills that fresh fruit and maybe it gets a little more acidic, shines through a little bit more. Yep. But sometimes I see that the aroma maybe opens up more because it's warmer, but not sure. necessarily a good thing when you're tasting it and you're losing that that fresh fruit. So right. And even the that difference more. of like 10 degrees in your kitchen, like if you're, if you have the difference between, you know, a 64 degree room and a 74 degree room, your wine, if it's at that warmer temperature is going to smell and taste a lot different than if it was a little bit on the cooler side. So even just that little bit, and especially as we're coming into summertime and, uh, you know, indoor temperatures are going to start to go up a little bit, you're going to see if you have an open bottle of wine, that it's going to be very different at a cooler temperature than at a warmer temperature. And related to leftover wine, Kim, there was another thing on this hack list that said, keep your leftover wine in half-size bottles. I really like this idea, but I don't think that a lot of people have small bottles. No, and I was thinking 
Well, first off, the reason you want to put in a smaller bottle is because once you reduce that volume, the rest of the bottle is filling up with air and then mm-hmm. it's eating away at the wine. So the smaller bottle transfer, now you have less air that can combat the wine and ruin it. So then I was thinking, okay, you're right. How do you find these half-size bottles? The wineries do make half-size wine bottles, but it's not very common to find them on your retail shelves. But you can find, and I know you're a fan of this, like oils or vinegar mm-hmm. half-size bottles. You can wash those out and you could use those. So I sure. think that's kind of a great little hack. And usually they have like great little cork stoppers that they'll be, you know, plastic, but then there'll be a little bit of a cork that goes in the bottle. Um, and that makes for a really great airtight seal. I I reuse those sorts of bottles for for things all the time. You know, maybe you put a big thing of vinegar that you buy at Costco and you, you know, put it into a smaller bottle to keep it in your pantry because it's a little bit easier to maneuver than, you know, two gallons of whatever. (laughs) That absolutely can work with wine. Sure. That's a good point because they mentioned to transfer to a small bottle, but it didn't really focus on, you still got to remember you have to seal that Right. size bottle to keep yeah it, so that's you know, and you know what screw caps would be the best or you know any other thing that you have around kicking around your house that's going to give a really nice tight seal if you are a um a beer you know a home home brewer if you make beer at home and you have cappers for putting on beer caps that's also a great way to to recork things i know i've done that in a pinch from time to time but i'm weird i've got those things kicking around my house i'm glad you said you're weird <laughs> you say it all the time. Well, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so one of the other things I saw on the list, Kim, I had to ask you about the, there was a hack and it said, swirl your wines, but not your bubbles. And you being the bubbly queen, I know I swirl everything that's in my glass. Mm-hmm. Do you swirl sparkling wine? I swirl my bubbles only at the very, very beginning, only to get that first or second initial hit of the aromas will I swirl it. So right after it goes in my glass, you know, I'll give it a little bit of a swirl, a little bit of a smell. Maybe I'll swirl it around a little bit and give it another smell. But then that's the extent of my swirling uh, because I really do like those bubbles. But on the flip side of that, I also want to get the aromas out of my glass of sparkling wine. So this kind of goes back to the, the whole idea of, well, what are we even serving our sparkling wine in? Do we want to serve it in a flute? Do we want to serve it in a regular glass? Do we want to serve it in one of those old-fashioned coupe glasses? It's this balance between retaining the integrity of the bubble and also being able to get all those lovely, beautiful aromas out of the wine. So it's kind of a balancing act, I feel like, when it comes to bubbles because those two things on either side of the spectrum, you want them both and you kind of need to reach something in the middle where you have a little bit of both, but you're not losing the aromas, but you're not losing the bubbles either. So if you put your sparkling wine in a flute or a, a coupe, a smaller glass, there's no way you're going to swirl it. No, you can't right? swirl it so, in, a, in a flute. No, does, so does doesn't happen. I was thinking when I saw this, first I wanted to ask you if you if you do it. And the second thing was they're saying don't swirl it because you'll kill the bubbles. So mm-hmm. for me, when I get a sparkling, first thing I do as I look, I look at the bubbles. Then I swirl it. Like So to yeah. me, after you see the bubbles the first time, it doesn't matter to me that I lose that fizz if I'm you know, swirling it around because it's all about the aromatics. I'm kind of want to get more aromatics out of it. So you're less about the texture. Yeah. Of the bubble. See, I I want that bubbliness to continue as I consume that glass of wine. Do you notice that 
the bubbles really are harmed when you swirl it? If I swirl it a lot, yeah. Yeah. Sometimes initially it it foams up more. You know, when you first pop in it, it, it's very carbonated and it can actually foam a little more, but... And I'm one of those obsessive swirlers. You know, I'll keep swirling my glass of wine without even realizing that I'm doing it. So if I'm having, you know, a glass of cava or a glass of something in a regular wine glass instead of in a flute, I actually have to be very careful that I don't continue to swirl that wine. So like even if I'm drinking a, you know, a low spritz or some sort of cocktail that has bubbly in it, and if it's served in a wine glass, I got to be careful that I, you know, just don't let my hands just do what they want to do and keep swirling that wine. It's like, no, yeah. stop swirling. Don't swirl the glass. Yeah, it's a habit. Leave it alone. We, I do it with milk and soda. <laughs> I do it with my coffee. Yeah. But hey, you know, it keeps the sugar stirred in. It was funny. I was listening to some podcast the other day and, and the master of wine said, I swirl my wines counterclockwise. And I'm, then I'm thinking, geez, I don't so do remember I. If, I, if I do counter or clockwise, I didn't even think about it. I just swirl it, right? I do counterclockwise. So then, yeah, I think everybody swirls well, If you're a right, I mean, I'm a, I'm a righty. So, so lefty, that's how I do. I, I would be interested to hear from lefties on how they swirl their wine. I should yeah, ask some I'm of my colleagues. I'm simulating it now. and Yeah, totally yeah. counterclockwise. Yeah, it is. It's left first, right-handed. Yeah. I want I you all to try this. I want all of our listeners to pay attention to what direction they swirl their wine. <laughs> Talk about geeky, huh? I'm going to go ask my husband. Counterclockwise swirlers. Oh, Sounds awesome. like a t-shirt to me. I should ask my mother because she's a lefty and my father-in-law too. Huh? We'll research more. Absolutely. What about so a couple other? There was talk about using a vase as a decanter. Yeah, as a so we're talking about hack. decanter. So if you don't have a decanter at home and you really want to decant your wine, um, you can use a flower vase or two. Uh, make sure they're nice and clean. Even if you have a really large, um, like mason jar, that could be fine too. You know, one into the other, and then pour it in either back into the bottle if you have a funnel, or you could just pour your wine from that mason jar. Just make sure all your stuff is clean. You know, we're, we're doing the best we can here and we're using the stuff that we have around us. So people certainly can get creative. I like um, this hack based on a cost perspective. Kim. Sure. If you, you look at these decanters that they sell, they're pretty extravagant. Crystal. Crystal ones. Know, that hundreds are like of dollars. Lots. Yeah, very expensive. Yeah, not only can you not clean them, but they're going to break like nothing if you, if you try. And, you, and then them. you need special tools in order to clean them correctly. Yeah. So a yeah. more industrial flower vase or a mason jar. <laughs> I, I like the idea. And then they related it. There was another hack related to uh, decanting, which also said do it. It said multiple jars. So you decanted in one jar. And then you decanted another jar, but the second jar, you pour it back and forth and back and forth. So you're decanting multiple times in the second jar, and then you compare the taste in the two, the one you just poured and decanted once and the one you decanted many times. See, I can totally see you doing this because you really like aerating your wine. Yeah. I'm not sure. I was thinking, is this really a hack? I mean, it's just, that's how you decant, right? I mean, multiple But it's using things that you already have at home as opposed to going out and getting something I'll, t- I'll tell you a really good hack I like with decanters, especially if you have like a box wine, it's hanging around. So mm-hmm. you have a Cabernet, you take some M&Ms and you put them in the jar, swirl the M&Ms in there. Then you dump the M&Ms, you put the wine in it and swirl the wine in it. Add a little chocolate aroma and flavor to your wine. Beefs it up a little bit. Are you serious? Yeah, I'm serious. <laughs> you can add things into the decanter to enhance the wine a little bit. So if I want my Chardonnay to be a little more apple-y, I could throw a little apple in the little decanter apple first. chunks in there, flip it around, or apple juice or something Well, then I'm like just that. making sangria. Yeah, well, 
a non non technical sync. <laughs> mm. Yeah, something something different. What about what was there was uh, two more hacks? They were saying, kid. One was uh, take photos of your wines that you like. This isn't a hack. This is something I recommend all the time. Um, this is a really great way to remember what wines you like, and it's easier than keeping bottles around the house. So. You know, take a photo of a wine that you like, even keep a separate wine folder in your photos folder on your phone. And this makes it really easy when you're ordering wine, when you're buying wine, uh, when you're talking to your favorite retailer about wine, just having all of that visual information because there's more than you're going to be able to capture in that picture than you're going to remember in, in your memory. So fantastic way to, to keep the wines that you like uh, in a in one place. And then over time, you can have this really nice collection of, of wines that you know that you've liked and you can look at them and find some similarities. Maybe you discover that you really like, I don't know, like South American wines or you really like cool climate Sauvignon Blancs. So as you see some trends, you'll be able to uh, find some, hopefully find some new wines that, that you'll be able to explore and new favorites. Yeah, it's a great memory tool. And like you said, Kim, if you have a, a separate picture of a folder and you go someplace and you said, well, I had this, I had this, and they don't have it, at least they have a, a kind of an idea of what the style, right. what the region that you like. Yep. And, and I'll add a hack to this hack in that don't just take the front label. Don't just take the pretty picture mm, on the front mm-hmm. label. Take that back label. I, I had a story. I follow this gentleman He's always posting beautiful bottles of wines that he likes, but he never takes the back label. So first off, I want to see the importer. I want to see details on that back, where it's bottled, things of that nature, which helps me source it out or get more information for it. So always take that back label picture. So you have to take two pictures. Right. There's a lot of good information on that back label. And you always do this with the labels when you are showing uh, wines that we've either tasted in our wine club or that, you know, you're exploring and we're getting some new things. There's a lot of information on there that, that yeah, can give, give retailers, give restaurant folks a little bit more uh, information about what you like and how to find something new for you. Yeah, a lot of good information. And sometimes yeah. don't forget, they've also put the alcohol on that hidden on that back label. So if you like a certain style of Chardonnay and you like a certain level of, of alcohol, if it's always the same, you know, 13.5 that you're drinking, I don't want to recommend you a 14% or a 12% or something like that. I want to keep you in kind of your alcohol range as well. Mm-hmm. So, or for the flip side, if you find that you like wines that are like 14 and a half or 15, um, but that are well balanced, you, you, know, you might not necessarily realize that those are higher in alcohol, but the texture changes when you've got a higher alcohol wine. So you might be more fond of those, you know, richer, fuller, lusher wines that you wouldn't necessarily have the words to to put to it but we can tell by the by the level of alcohol in there that that that's the style of wine that you like yes exactly and one last hack last hack was what to do with (laughs) what to do with that leftover wine that you've got like a tiny little bit at the bottom of the of the bottle you're not going to finish it freeze it into ice cubes and use it for cooking which is fine it's not something i've ever done because I never have any wine left over in my house. But when I do, I turn my wine into vinegar. Um, <laughs> yeah, if anyone never, was going to do this, it would yeah, be you, right? I've never done that. I don't, yeah, I don't know. Wine does freeze a little differently than, uh, than water does, obviously, with the, with the alcohol content in there. So it might end up being a little bit more of a, of a slushy cube 
than uh, an actual hard frozen cube. Um, I do this with orange juice, but I, I haven't necessarily done it with wine. But I think I think maybe it's worth a try. I've got yeah, a little bit of ask you. little bit of the bottom of a box of wine sitting on my bar, so maybe I should try that. I wonder what ha- I mean. I've heard you want to do this because then you throw it in a saucepan to make a yeah yeah a if you're gonna make it, correct. Right. So you, it's like if you always keep containers of, you know, chicken broth frozen in your freezer, it's just kind of the same thing. So you're not freezing it to put it, use it as ice cubes to put in your wine. Right. 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 Although I can, I can see me doing that too. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I was thinking as a hack, you, you freeze red wine and then you use it as ice cubes in your white wine to make it into like a rosé. I've I heard of um, putting grapes in the freezer. And then you yeah. put your grapes in your white wine to chill it down so it acts like an ice cube, but it doesn't dilute your wine. Yeah, I've, I've heard that too. That's... You try the grape thing. Well, these were good hacks. Yeah, so, you know, when you're, you're stuck at home and you want to up your wine game, these are some things that you can try to make your wine taste a little bit better. You're listening to the wonderful world of wine, and we are your hosts, Mark Lindsay and Kim Simone, exploring all things wine with you. You can find more information on Kim on her website, vinitaswineworks.com, more information about myself at franklinliquors.com, and you can find our past episodes on SoundCloud or iTunes. And welcome back. We're talking wine today. And Kim, there's a story we found about corks. And it was actually interesting because they had some nice videos of the whole production of how corks are, the cork trees are harvested, how corks are made, the whole process. And it blew my mind, Kim, because every time we open a bottle of wine with a cork, this is something you never think about, right? How did that thing get there? This was, was really cool to watch. You know, I've read about how cork, how cork trees are harvested and how cork is made, but I had never actually watched a video of it. And this was really fascinating. I just sat there for a half an hour and I watched these videos about cork. It was pretty cool. Yeah, so you can easily just YouTube cork harvest how corks are made and you'll find a, a numerous videos but this one went through the whole step uh, process the the cork trees mainly portugal is is the king cork tree country i guess we could say kim mm-hmm. right yep and they say every nine years these trees are stripped of their bark and it, it was a very interesting delicate procedure usually two gentlemen or two people are next to the tree and they they slice a little ring around and then they just strip the bark off and they don't, they go pretty much all the way up the tree to yeah, where the they branches go pretty far. Now, it reminded me of like shearing sheep. Yeah, like, exactly. You know, <laughs> every season you, you take your sheep and you, uh, you know, you, you take all the wool off of them and it doesn't hurt the sheep and, you know, they just look naked for a while and then their, uh, their wool grows back and that's kind of like what this is. You know, you're, they're stripping the, the bark off of the tree down to the whatever layer, uh, of the tree then lets it grow back for the next, was it nine years for nine this one? Years. I've heard any, yeah, anywhere from, you know, seven to 12. When in the past we had mentioned when we talked about cork trees before, I think it takes like 30 or 40 years before the tree can be harvested for the first yeah. time. Yep. So, yep, yep. and we were joking that you don't want to order, uh, own a cork tree farm because you get maybe one harvest and <laughs> that's it in your lifetime. But so then they, they, I was thinking to myself when I saw this, you mentioned when they strip it off, they're like three to four inches thick and it actually does look like a cork board, right? Yeah, they it take really it does. Off. So and I then there's thinking, all oh, yeah, a, what an idiot. It is cork, right? It's cork, yeah. 
And then there's all of these um, processing steps that it has to go through. But what struck me is just how like natural it all was. Like they don't, for this type of process of making these types of corks that we looked at, they literally punch a cork shape out of the bark and that's what you have, which was just so like fascinatingly simple yeah. to me. And there were so many interesting steps before that, Kim, where they mm-hmm. actually, they cut it, they stack it, and then it sits for they one age it. year. Yeah, one so year. it's like firewood. Yeah, so they age it for a while and then, and then they clean it and they cut it down into manageable strips. And then they- Yeah, they boil it to take boil, off yeah, oh, that's all right. the impurities out of mm-hmm. it. Then they cut it to it. Yep. size to, to cut the cork out of it. And then they clean it again. And then sometimes they're, they're hand-punched or they're hand-sorted. And then they grade them. Did you see the pot? Yes. And they had like a, a red, a green, and a yellow bin. And, and the machine either sorts them but for defects into those stages. So I would assume the green or the more expensive corks and mm-hmm. then the red is just the everyday stuff. Right. So it goes um, through a, a number of a number of steps where either a machine or a person is looking at them for how good quality they are. So, you know, if there are, I guess, lines through them from rot or from insects or whatnot, those will be of a lower grade. But then if they're, you know, clean and they have, you know, good cell structure, then then they're technically a better better level of cork. And I also noticed, Kim, when they punch it, the cork, it must shrink through the whole process of by the time it gets to the end, right? Because they Mm -hmm. look a lot bigger when they're punched than the final product. But I didn't see... Because I think there was a drying stage too. After it's punched? Yeah, I think so. Yeah, I didn't see that part because it definitely looked like either that or they were punching you know, magnum or bigger <laughs> corks or something like that. So Yeah, no, I think there was another, there seemed to be a couple of stages of getting them clean or damp and then, then a drying and then doing that all over again. So and what's yeah. your, what's your understanding of the average, if I go to a homebrew store or a wine making store, how much am I going to pay for a cork? A couple cents. Yeah. Like under 50 cents, right? Oh gosh. Yes. Like usually like the technology and the labor and everything it takes Mm -hmm. to make these. And it's amazing that you're paying such a little amount for the cork Mm -hmm. to be the process. It's almost like when I think about wine, how we're getting a bottle of wine here from France and it's 10 bucks, right? I mean, all that goes through to still pay 10 bucks a bottle. It's just amazing. Yeah. Anything else on corks you think we should mention? Uh, I mean, I've felt like this was a really interesting jumping off point. You know, this showed us how you get the most, I would arguably say the most natural style of cork, cork closure. And I would be interested in seeing, okay, if this is what natural cork uh, production looks like, what does composite cork look like? What does some of those other types of cork that are maybe made from reconstituted cork or ground up cork that have then been put together? So I would be curious to see uh, maybe another video of how other types of cork are made. Yeah, I think they've probably taken those rejected or those red ones and they grind that. Mm-hmm. So and they then make like those another other... thing of cleaning that goes through and, yeah. and how do you, how do you and make then they, those? So I'd be what curious. You were saying, the non-natural corks, they take like a plastic shell and they fill the center with natural cork mm. to save a mm-hmm. little cost, but they're probably using those rejected cork shavings for yeah. that. Well, you don't, want to, well, you don't want to waste any of that stuff. So yeah, I would yeah. think that there would be other things to be made that would then use that other cork. Maybe those cork boards. 
you know, yeah, are coming from <laughs> the, the corks that aren't going into the wine bottles that have been rejected. But now we're going to stick some push pins in them. And they didn't show about treating them for bacteria and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. But there's been a lot of talk with these major cork producers have found ways to guarantee there was there's no bacteria or anything to ruin your wine. So I would assume there's another step that they're doing once it's completed to make sure there's no no impurities or anything that's going to grow on there when, by the time it gets to the, the wine. Unless there's something in that initial washing step that's not just hot boiling water, but is, you know, some sort of antifungal. Yeah, something, something else in there. Yeah. Well, yeah, it's an interesting know. process, but uh, have you ever seen, you've been to Portugal, correct? No. No? Spain? You were Spain, right? Well, we didn't actually go. Oh, I thought you were there before when you were in Italy that time. No, I've no. never been to Spain or Portugal. Nope. So that's kind of a thing on my list now. I want to see these uh, these cork trees. And I, I wonder if they would grow in our region. I don't know. It's like I can't go to Home Depot and get a cork tree. Can't buy a cork tree. Yeah. But I kind, of, I kind of want to, I won't live long enough to bark <laughs> off it though. Jeez. Well, it's, oh. just a, it's just a different type of oak. So I don't see why it wouldn't grow here. But specific terroir in Portugal, it makes it uh, perfect for wine bottles. And where else have you heard in the world, Kim, that these, they Spain, Spain grows a little bit of it, um, but I don't really know anywhere else that does grow uh, cork oak. I mean, Portugal's kind of, ha- it has the, the monopoly on, yeah, the, on the really cork does. industry. Because all these companies, they're from Portugal and you don't yep. hear anything else. No. That's, well, it's too late to get into it now. Too, too late, late for you. Yeah, too late <laughs> for us. We can't do it. Thank you for joining us today for the wonderful world of wine. As always, it is a pleasure to discuss uh, topics in the wine world with you. We've been your hosts, Mark and Kim. You can find us on Facebook at The Wonderful World of Wine. And for past episodes, you can find us on SoundCloud and iTunes. Cheers. Cheers.